Well, hello friends. Thanks so much for joining us online today or if you're watching this on demand. Greetings, uh, my name's Phil and I'm part of the team here at King's Arms and it's great to be together today where we're in the middle of this teaching series called Exalted where we are exploring the glory of God in the songs of scripture. And so we're gonna continue that theme today in our teaching and we're gonna be in a few moments looking in Philippians chapter two together. And of course, one of the remarkable characteristics of the worship songs of scripture is that, hold the front page, they're all about God. <laughs> they're about the person and the nature and the character and the wonder and the transcendence of God, which is front page news in our current culture where we have this obsession with project self. And it's interesting, isn't it? The culture that we're in inevitably starts to seep in and impact the way we do life, even as Christians in the church. And we live in a culture, particularly in the West, that very much is about the individual. It's about self. It's about self-improvement. It's about looking after numero uno. Uh, that's the culture we live in. And what's interesting is that culture can begin to be reflected in our beliefs and in our practices and yes even in the worship songs that we sing and I would put it to you that many of the worship songs that have been written over the past decade or so there are many brilliant worship songs but I would suggest to you also there is a large percentage of worship songs that are not so much about the transcendence and the greatness of God, but really about what God can do for me. And subtly, even the songs that we can sing in worship are about self. I remember years ago when uh, our kids were quite small, uh, we did a moment of 360 degree encouragement where we went round the table and we each encouraged each other about something that we loved about one another and I, I remember on that occasion Sam he was very little it came to Carol his mum and uh, he, he thought for a few moments and then he looked at her and he said mum I love you because you play with me you cook me food and you tuck me in at night and it was it was a beautiful little kind of five-year-old encouragement and of course in that immature version really it was all about the things that carol did for him it was about the way she provided for him and of course there's a place for that but what i would suggest to you that there is a place now for us to grow up in our worship of god where it's not just about worshiping god who does things for me but it's about worshipping in wonder a God who is so other than me, who is so holy and transcendent and awe-inspiring and that he in himself is enough of a reason to worship. And that's why when you come to the songs of scripture, they are packed full of truths about the greatness of God. Yes, the things that he does for his people, but also just his otherness, his glory, how breathtaking he is in his holiness. And I suggest to you there is something that we've got to recover in these days about the awe and the wonder of God, even through the songs that we choose to sing. And the reality is that we only truly find ourselves when we find him. I very much believe that you become like the one that you behold. The one that you look at, the things that you look at most in life are ultimately the things that you become to reflect 
around you and in you. And there is something about beholding God that really shines a mirror on who you really are. And if you want to find yourself sometimes, the way to self-forgetfulness through God consciousness is the best pathway to true freedom. Okay, I'll say that again. The best way uh, to really find true freedom is through self-forgetfulness through God consciousness, becoming conscious of God in his glory is actually the way that you really begin to see yourself in your true light. And so today we're going to turn to another one of those songs and it's in Philippians chapter 2. And thus far in this series we've looked at three songs from the Old Testament and now we're going to look at three songs from the New Testament starting with what many theologians think is one of the oldest Christian hymns ever written uh, in the New Testament times, so the times after Jesus' resurrection. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2, and uh, this is what we read. We're going to start in verse 5 of chapter 2. This is a man called the Apostle Paul. He's writing down the words of this hymn to the Philippians. And he says to them, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You've got to imagine this set to music. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Yes, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue can can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Absolutely beautiful, powerful truths. And so I want us to see three stunning truths about Jesus in this New Testament song that would have been sung. And the first is this, Jesus is eternal God. Paul says here, quoting this song, he says, Jesus being in very nature God. This is important. Uh, Friends, as we approach Christmas time, I know it's the C word, and some of us don't wanna mention it yet, but we are heading into the Christmas season. It's important that we remember that Jesus is not just the chubby looking baby on the front of your Christmas card. Jesus has a whole backstory that started before being incarnated as a baby in the Christmas manger. He has a whole backstory that is eternal in nature because Jesus is in very nature God. That means that Jesus has always existed, that Jesus had no beginning. He existed outside of time and space. In fact, he is himself the creator of time and space because he is in very nature God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the three members of the Trinity, one God in three persons. Jesus is, says Paul in this song, eternal God. You know, Jesus... In many people's understanding, his story starts in the Christmas manger, in the Christmas story. But actually, Jesus is the one who was there in the very beginning, the beginning of time 
itself. One gospel writer, John, puts it this way in John 1 verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Those are really profound and important words. In the beginning was the word and the word is Jesus. And the word was with God and the word Jesus was God. What's John saying in that passage? He's saying Jesus does not have a beginning. He is the eternal one. He was the very word of the father. And in the beginning of time, when the father spoke creation into being, you can read it in the account of creation in Genesis 1. It says, God spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. The word that God the father spoke, that word was Jesus. Jesus is there at the beginning of time, the timeless one, the eternal one. Through him, all things have been created that have been created Colossians says, in him all things have been made. They are from him and through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. These are profound and mysterious and beautiful truths about Jesus. But this is who we worship. You know, behind every intelligent creative design, there is an intelligent creative designer. And Jesus is that intelligent creative designer. He is the maker of all things. Hebrews 1 says that he sustains all things by the power of his word. Jesus is the very heartbeat of all creation because he is the creator. He's the eternal God. This is who we worship. When you sing the name of Jesus, you're not just singing about the earthly man, the man of the earth. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But you are singing about eternal God who always was and always is and always will be. And the early church sang in wonder about Jesus because he was God who became flesh. The word, John goes on to say, became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And when you read the pages of the New Testament, you know, in Scripture, Jesus is worshipped as God by a blind man, by a previously demonized man, by his best friend, John, by doubting Thomas, by all of the disciples, by numerous angels, by numbers of churches. He was worshipped as God by his own mum and by his own younger brothers. I tell you what, friends, if anyone could blow a hole in your claims that you are eternal God, it's going to be your mum and your kid brother. And yet even they worship Jesus as eternal God because they understood this is the creator. He's, he's not just a man. This is God walking among us. And so in this early Christian hymn, this is one of the truths they celebrate about Jesus. Jesus is God. Second truth, though, in this hymn is Paul says, though he was in very nature God, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. And so the second truth about Jesus in this passage is that Jesus is the crucified man. He's eternal God, but he is also the, the crucified man, the man that hung and suffered in obedience even to death on a cross. This hymn says that 
Jesus didn't grasp his divinity, but it says that he took on the nature of a servant. He became flesh. In theological terms, this is called the hypostatic union, which simply means that, well, not simply anything, but it means that the divine and the human became joined together in one perfect union between God and man in the person of Jesus. He, at the same time as being fully eternal God, who sustained all living things by the word of his mouth, at the same time, he became fully man. Just think about that. Think about Jesus growing up as a young boy, as a young baby, at the same time as he was being toilet trained and learning to eat solids and and having to take naps because he got tired. At the same time, he was as eternal God, sustaining every living thing in the galaxy. The hypostatic union is the joining of two natures in the person of Jesus. He took on the nature of a servant. He became a man. And it was in this dual nature that Jesus, says Paul in this song, was crucified on a Roman cross. And maybe many of you understand and have heard messages about the cross, but the cross really was one of the most horrendous and brutal forms of torture ever invented by man. It was invented by the Persians in about 400 BC and perfected at the time of the Romans. And Jesus ultimately was hung on a Roman cross and was crucified. He was tortured in the most agonizing form of death probably ever invented by man. And death on a cross was a death by slow asphyxiation as your lungs slowly filled up with fluid and you were unable to empty your lungs and take breath. And death sometimes would take many days and it was a brutal form of death. And very often uh, men as Jesus was would be flogged before being then nailed to a wooden beam. And the flogging itself sometimes was enough to kill men. Roman citizens would never be hung on a cross because it was considered too brutal, too grotesque, too horrendous to hang a, hang a Roman on a cross. It was reserved only for the worst of criminals and for non-Roman citizens. And uh, there was huge blood loss, absolute trauma to the body. And typically Romans would hang people and crucify people in the most public place possible. They would strip you of your clothing. You would be hung naked on a recycled wooden beam that probably had the blood and the feces and the excrement and the dirt of previous crucified men. And you would be hung in the equivalent of Tesco supermarkets so that you could see crucifixions as you went about your daily business in the city and Paul in this song says Jesus became obedient even to death on a cross the eternal God took on flesh and was crucified and of course this begs the question why 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 was Jesus hung on a cross and the word obedient in Philippians 2 is very important because actually Jesus went to death on a cross, not because Pontius Pilate forced him to, or because the Pharisees whipped up the crowds and persuaded them to shout for crucifixion. Ultimately, the Bible teaches that Jesus chose his death on the cross. Jesus puts it uh, this way in John 10, 18. 
It says, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Jesus voluntarily chose the cross because behind the sacrifice on the cross was a substitution. And that substitution is what we celebrate in song. We celebrate the fact that Jesus, the sinless, eternal God, took on our sin in order that we could receive forgiveness and freedom. Behind the cross, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, it says that for our sins, he was crucified. Jesus hung on a cross as the perfect substitute and sacrifice for our sin, for our greed, for our lust, for our imperfections, for our brutality, for our rejection of God. Jesus, the perfect eternal God-man, hung on the cross as a punishment for our sins. The punishment that we deserved was laid upon him, a perfect sacrifice and substitute for sin scripture says by his wounds we are healed and friends when we sing and when we worship nothing nothing should be more central in our worship than the cross of jesus christ because the cross in one single act shows us both what god is like in his sacrificial love and also what God will do, that he will literally move heaven and earth to bring his children back home again. And that's why the early church sung songs about the cross. They didn't sing songs about self. They sang songs about the sacrificial nature of the love of God, that God himself would willingly choose to carry a cross so that I could find freedom in him. The cross is where the glory of God is revealed. That's why Paul says, I have chosen to boast in nothing save the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what this song reveals. And then thirdly, this song celebrates in conclusion the fact that Jesus is our victorious king. Yes, he was crucified, but Paul goes on in this song and he says, therefore, Jesus has been exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above every other name, that at his name, every knee would bow and every tongue confess. Paul tells us how things end up. It says, you know, Jesus is eternal God. He's crucified man, but he is also now victorious king. He has crushed death at the cross because he not only died, but he rose again and he has now been ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's been crowned with many crowns and even death is now under his feet. And this idea of exaltation and ascension, again, was a very political idea. And as they're singing this song about Jesus being exalted and being given the name above every other name, um, the readers would have understood it because this idea of exaltation and ascension was again a very Roman one because Roman Caesars when they conquered their earthly enemies they would ride through the streets uh, as a sign of their victory and it was said when they died they would ascend to heaven to be with the gods and this was a sign of their divinity and their victory 
And so this song is unashamedly political because it's saying Jesus is not just a king, but he is the king of all kings. He has been given the name above every other name. He has been given the name above Caesar, above emperors, above earthly kings. And he's been exalted to not just a high place, but the highest place. And every tongue one day is going to confess that he alone is Lord. And this song is celebrating the fact that Jesus hasn't just conquered earthly enemies. He has conquered the last and greatest enemy. He's conquered death itself. This means that for Christians who are hidden in Christ, we no longer fear death. Actually, death has been swallowed up by the victory of Jesus. So that if I die tomorrow morning, I would die in the victory of Christ and I would be resurrected with him and live in his victory forever and ever and ever into eternity future jesus is the victorious king and this is what this song celebrates even death has been defeated you know tyson fury a few weeks ago he won the the heavyweight championship of the world he got to keep his belt and wrap it around his waist but do you know what jesus is the ultimate champion he got knocked down he got knocked out he died on a cross but he rose again. He is now the champion. He doesn't wear a belt, a boxing belt, but actually scripture says he's been given the keys to death itself. So friends, this is the sort of thing that early Christians were singing about in their worship songs. That They weren't preoccupied with self. They were just living in awe and wonder at the eternal God, Jesus, that he would be crucified on a cross for them and that he rose again and was now their, their eternal victorious king. These are the truths about the nature and the wonder of the God who loves us and who we are called to worship with reverence and with awe. And so friends, I would encourage us to do likewise today. If we're going to sing, let's sing something that matters because these are the songs of eternity that we will be singing forever and ever and ever. Amen. God bless you.